0: Welcome to the Wagging Tails Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Noble Canine, canine behavioural specialists and dog trainers. We provide global online consultations and training, as well as physical training and behavioural rehabilitation within Singapore. Welcome to this episode of the Wagging Tails Podcast. On this podcast, we are going to be talking about something which is very relevant for a lot of people all over the world this month of December coming into January and that is our dogs during the festive season. Now there's a lot of challenges which can come up during the festive season with regards to our dogs. There's a lot of things that we need to consider for our dogs during this time but before we go into that what I want to do is just give you guys a little bit of a personal story which helped me figure out what we need to do during this time of year and it starts when I was around about 15, 16 and my mum was having a Christmas party with a lot of family and friends. Now at that time we had a brilliant little dog called Buddy. Half Jack Russell, half Border Collie. Incredibly intelligent, but very high energy little dog. He genuinely was great. However, due to the fact that he was aware of so much going on, he actually suffered quite a bit with anxiety. Now, At the time, we didn't really think much of it. It wasn't something that people even really spoke about. They only knew about training. Very few people ever thought about behavioural modification or rehabilitation for dogs. So, as much as I always look back and think, if I only knew then what I know now, I could have helped him a lot. But we didn't. And we had this party, and the whole night, the whole time that there was people there poor buddy was guarding one seat of the sofa growling at everybody that came close and eventually we ended up just putting him out into the sort of outhouse because he was so upset that we were worried that he was going to snap at someone and that's not really the way to do it. Although we did give him somewhat a safe space and it was heated, it wasn't as if we were putting him out into the cold, he was never using that area as a safe place. He was never introduced to it. We just sort of had people coming in and he was expected just to be okay with that. So even at that age, I realised that, you know what, that wasn't really fair on Buddy. And fast forward many years later, when we adopted Athos, we also had a Christmas gathering. But with that in mind, and with what everything I'd learnt from the whole time of doing this, really, uh, we understood that Athos already had anxiety issues. Athos had reactivity issues. For those of you that are interested, you can go back to episode one where I talk about that at length. If you do that, I do apologize for the audio quality. It was our first episode, but the content is there and it does tell a good story of Athos and how we managed to rehabilitate him. But at the time, this was when we just adopted him. So I made my office in the house an out of bounds area for everybody, apart from direct family and ethos and before we had the party I shaped the office to be his safe place so he had his bed in there we were giving him his chews in there giving him stuffed Kongs in there I was spending a lot of time in there because it was my office and he was in there with me so he was very very comfortable with that and as a result he was able to come out and mingle with a lot of people and then when the time came we would put him back in there to have a give him a break so that he could have a rest. And then it meant that when we reintroduced him back to everybody, it was a lot more calm. He wasn't as stressed. And that was just one thing that we did which made a huge difference. So that's just to share my personal anecdote, just so that you understand that it's not just coming from a place of I'm a behaviour specialist, this is why I'm telling you this. This is things that we deal with as well. This is things that every time we've got people over, we think about these things. Even though our dogs may be trained, they may have been rehabilitated, you still think about these things. And every dog is different. So nobody knows your dog as well as you do. That doesn't mean that you're the best at reading your dog. It doesn't mean that you couldn't do it with some advice. That's not what I'm saying. But you know your dog better than anybody else. And the more you learn about dogs in general, about behavior in general, the more you can tell about your dog, the better you can communicate with your dog. And then you know what of all of these aspects with regards to the festive season or indeed any other topics you need to apply to your dog in particular. So with that said, what I want to talk about is the different aspects of the festive season which can be challenging for our dogs. So the first thing is quite obvious. A lot of the time, people that celebrate Christmas will be putting up Christmas trees. They will be putting up decorations. They will be getting more presents coming in. There'll be a lot of cardboard boxes being delivered. There'll be a lot of wrapping paper and all that stuff. This is all new objects for our dogs. For some dogs, it can be very intriguing. It can be very curious. And those dogs might be absolutely fine. Or they might end up being overly curious and destroying some of it. But it can also be scary for other dogs as well. And that fear can create a high level of stress which makes the situation slightly unsafe not just for your dog but for guests coming in the house. Even if your dog's never shown any sign of reactivity, additional stress can push anyone, whether it be a dog or a human, to becoming reactive. So when we're going through this, bear that in mind. The biggest thing about decorations and the environmental changes that you might be seeing is that we can put these up gradually. A lot of people think that I'm a little bit crazy because, you know, at the beginning of November, I put the wreath up on our door. Not on the outside, on the inside, but it meant that that was the first piece of decorations that changed in the house. I brought the huge nutcrackers and the Santa little things out, and I didn't put them necessarily in the living room, but I had them lying out either in my office or in the back room, where the dogs do go. They were becoming more acclimatised to the fact that these things are around. And then we tend to put our Christmas tree up a little bit earlier, and the Christmas tree will go up, but none of the other decorations will go up. And then we'll decorate the tree, and the dogs can become acclimatised to that. And then we'll put all the other decorations up gradually, and it means that instead of just one day bang all of this is now all over the house which can be very daunting very scary or indeed create curiosity which can manifest in destructive tendencies that doesn't happen because we've done it gradually so that's generally how i like to tackle these things now I do understand that my boys, and we will talk about this later on in the podcast, my boys have been trained, so I'm able to get them not to grab any of the decorations. But if you are not convinced that you're going to be able to do that with your dog, what I would suggest is keeping decorations out of reach. So especially things like tinsel, small ornaments, um, especially things like you've got hanging chocolates on the tree or anything like that. Make sure that you strategically decorate the tree, maybe have it raised off the ground so that you don't have to worry about these things. Always remember that we're setting our dogs up for success. If our dogs get hold of anything, well, that's because we've not done enough to make sure that they don't get hold of it. It's just that simple. Now, other things that come with these environmental changes of decorations are electronic wires. So you've got new cables lying everywhere. Well, let's not leave them lying out. Let's make sure they're nice and tidy. Maybe you put them in to some of these temporary conduits or you keep them out of reach so that no dog is tempted to chew on them or anything like that. Now, I understand not every dog's going to do that. But if you have a dog that could potentially do it, it's worth being aware that you need to do something about it. Then you've got to think about the noise and the activity so you tend to have increased noise in the house. If you're anything like us you start to have Christmas music playing in the background a lot of the time. Now for many dogs that can be very new. For our dogs we play music in the background in our house quite a lot so normally there's something playing just because well we like music and during Christmas time that becomes Christmas music but If that's not something you normally do, it's a good idea to make sure that you start that early. And it doesn't need to be Christmas music. If you're gonna start playing this in the beginning of November, don't worry about it. The dogs can't tell the difference between Christmas music and any other music, really. Um, They might enjoy some types of music better than others. Obviously, if you're playing heavy metal one minute and jingle bells the next minute, they're gonna get, there's a difference. But generally, if you're just playing melodic music, at a low volume level for a good duration of time and gradually build up that volume by the time christmas comes and you're playing louder music that's not going to be as impactful it's about introducing them to this gradually and um, you've also got a lot more foot traffic a lot more deliveries um, you could end up having a lot more celebrations where you're going to have a lot more loud situations in the house this is very important that you are aware that this could cause stress to your dog and some dogs love people and that's great but even the dogs that do if you have a party that's going to last four five six hours that's a long time for anyone to be sociable now small admittance here if you ask me to be continuously sociable for six hours at a party I will struggle with that genuinely and it means that my stress levels may start to rise so even when I'm at parties I will sometimes slip away for a breath of fresh air just to get away from it for a little bit and calm down a little bit not because I'm stressed and anxious but just because I prefer slightly more quieter events it's just just the way I am and your dogs are going to be very similar to that No jokes about me comparing myself to a dog there please but this is why we want to highlight one of the biggest parts about this and i mentioned it with regards to buddy and with regards to ethos this is creating a safe space a quiet space now In the moment you can start doing this with white noise or soft music to mask out those party sounds, but that's in the moment. We want to be preparing for this. So if you're able to, have that space set aside for your dog. Um, In this house that we're in now, our boys actually are in the master bedroom because it's big enough that we can have all three of them in there without disturbing our space. And it means that at night they go in there, they all sleep at the other side of the room on their beds. And it means that when we do have gatherings, the boys can go in there and relax when they want to. Or if I see that they've been socialising for a long time and they're starting to get overexcited or or a little bit nervous or anxious, I'll put them in there for a good 15-20 minutes just to let them calm down and I'll give them a bone or a kong or whatever else. And having that space set up is incredibly beneficial Um, And if you're like me, it also gives you an excuse to go in there and chill out for a little bit. Because you'll be like, oh, I've got to go and check on the dogs and make sure they're okay. And it gives you a good excuse to uh, leave the party for a little while. I'm not actually antisocial. I just, I like spending time with my dogs more than most people, to be honest. Um, So that safe place is going to be incredibly important. So think about that. Have a think about where you can put that in your house is out of the way. Don't make the mistake of putting it in direct line of foot traffic. So don't put it between the bathroom and the living room or don't put it in the kitchen where people are gonna want to be going in there because the best parties are always in the kitchen. So if you do that, that's not gonna be a very good safe place for your dog. Okay, so then we move on to the routine disruption. When the festive season rolls around, People take time off of work, so there's more people in the house. Children are off school, so there's more people, a lot more noise, and a lot more novelty in the house than usual. As I said earlier, you've got a lot more activity with deliveries and things like that. All of this disrupts your dog's routine. So what you can do to help that is do your best to stick to their routine. If you're off work and you normally walk your dog at 6am, trust me when I tell you, I know lions are great, but it's beneficial for you to get up and walk your dog at 6am. You can always go back to bed, because I guarantee your dog will. Every day you go to work, there's a high chance your dog goes back to bed. Now, that means that you're keeping your dog's routine a little bit better. The walking times, the feeding times, if you have regular training times, if you do, well done, that's exactly what you should be doing. If you don't, Okay, that's not part of the routine yet, but it's something you might wanna introduce at a later stage. Keep the routine as regular as possible, even when you are having parties, even when you have guests staying for a couple of weeks. Keep that routine as disciplined as you can because that makes a huge difference to our dogs. So you'll notice that a lot of what I'm talking about here is on the comfort of the dog. So let's take a look at the safety and the comfort of the dog because, of course, the comfort of the dog is indeed safety because if your dog doesn't feel safe, even if they actually are, you're still going to get that same behavioural potential of change. So it means that if your dog feels unsafe and they start barking, snarling, uh, growling, whatever else, that's because they don't feel safe. Dogs don't do that for fun. Dogs don't try and threaten people for for fun. They're doing it because they're nervous, they don't feel safe. So we go back to choosing that quiet room where the dog can retreat, introducing familiar items into that room like their bed, toys, water bowl, maybe even an item of your clothing. So it sounds a bit strange, but if you sleep in a t-shirt for a couple of nights and then you tie that t-shirt into a whole load of knots and give it to your dog's area, that's going to be very comforting for them. Any of you that have dealt with separation anxiety will probably quite well aware of the benefit of doing that. So this is what we want to set up. Make sure we do it prior to the occasion. Make sure that we are introducing this using positive associations such as Training, as in going into the safe place, coming out of the safe place, in, out, in, out, in, out. In stuffed Kong, scatter feeding, snuffle mats, whatever you can think of, like a match, you name it. That's where you want to be giving them so that your dog knows that that's a positive place. And as I said earlier, restrict that place from your guests. Don't be tempted to say, oh, I want to have a private conversation with these two or three people. Let's just go into the dog safe place. No, no, no. That's your dog's safe place. You go and find somewhere else to talk to them. Okay? It's only going to be the immediate family, the ones that the dog trusts, that are going to be going in there. And I know that sounds strict, but you will thank me for that later on. Now, I spoke briefly about decorations, but a big part of decorations are plants a lot of the time now not just for Christmas but a lot of these do come at Christmas and um, there's a variety of plants used for decorations and a lot of these can be very toxic to our dogs so it's important that we're aware of these and keep them out of reach or even better avoid them completely there's many false alternatives which are not toxic which we can also use and of course it also means that you don't need to keep them alive because they're false. So you've got things like pocentas. Uh, so these are like quite traditional Christmas plants, but these cause irritation to the dog's mouth and the stomach if they uh, swallow it. It can cause rashes and vomiting and it can be quite toxic to them. Then you've got things like mistletoe. So... I'm tempted to make a joke about the only other person that gets harmed by is Balder, but only certain people that are complete mythology geeks will get that. But these are often hung in doorways because effectively, you know, if you hang mistletoe, you can get a few extra kisses here and there. But just because they're hanging in doorways doesn't mean they're not gonna fall. And it can really cause bad gastrointestinal upset and cardiovascular problems for our dogs. So be aware of that if you're using mistletoe, Just get the fake stuff. That's the easiest way to go. Or make sure that it's out of the way and not going to drop. Holly. Now, the holly leaves can cause damage physically because they're very sharp. But the berries and leaves can cause nausea, vomiting, diarrhoea. And it can actually make your dog very lethargic and tired if they've eaten it. And that's one of the signals. So if any of these toxic uh, plants get into your dogs, you've got to take them to the vet ASAP. Now, you've also got things like Christmas cactus, now that's not really classed as toxic but it can still cause diarrhoea and vomiting. You've got an actual Christmas tree, pines, firs, spruce. The needles are quite sharp and although they might actually not be toxic, if a dog ingests some of these uh, needles it can cause quite a lot of irritation or even puncture the throat or uh, even down into the digestional system. It's important that we don't allow our dogs to be eating these leaves, not leaves, the pines, the needles. The other thing is if you've got a live tree in the house, most of you will have the big pots with the water in there. Now this is gonna be stagnant water and likely you're gonna have fertilizer in there to keep the tree alive. If your dog drinks this water, it can really be dangerous for them because these fertilisers, most of which, are actually poisonous to our dogs. So be aware of that. You've got other things that maybe are not so Christmassy, but still to be aware of, is lilies. So a lot of types of lilies can be very toxic to your cats or your dogs, and they can cause some stomach issues. Now, just as a point, lilies are less dangerous for dogs But if you've got a cat as well, or you've got a cat and you're listening to this, um, be aware that lilies can be quite bad for your cats and maybe keep them out of the way. And coming into sort of more Easter, I reckon, but daffodils can cause really severe gastrointestinal upset and can even cause real cardiac um, arrhythmas and problems. So that's if if a dog gets hold of the bulb of the daffodil The problem being is that the bulb is exactly what they're going to want to go for because it looks more tasty to them or even looks like a ball. So when we're decorating for the holidays, everybody wants to have a natural in plants and all that stuff. And I get it. It smells awesome. It looks great. But it's wise to consider that there are potential dangers when you're using these plants. If you can avoid them altogether, that's the best way. But if not make sure you're placing them well out of your dog's reach and if you suspect if you even suspect your dog has eaten and ingested any of these contact your vet immediately and nine times out of ten they're going to ask you to come down so that's always a good idea. Now then we move on to something which is quite similar to this and that is food safety. Now A lot of people are very aware of the common ones like chocolate, grapes, onions, and things like that. But there's a lot more to it than that. During the Christmas season or during Thanksgiving or a lot of these different holidays, we as humans enjoy a lot of different foods that we don't necessarily normally eat throughout the year. And a lot of these can pose great risk to our dogs if they eat them. So there's a few toxic and hazardous foods that I'll go through here, but this list is nowhere near exhaustive. So I would strongly advise if you're worried about this, do a little bit more research online and you'll and you'll find more on there. Because honestly, I could do a full podcast on this topic. Um, and if I did do that, it would be a good idea to get Dr. Francis back on because he knows a lot more about this than I ever will. But let's just start with the most common one that everybody knows, chocolate. Now chocolate contains caffeine and it contains theobromine which is toxic to dogs and it can cause vomiting, diarrhea, rapid heart rate, restlessness, seizures and it can if it's pure chocolate, if it's very dark chocolate, it can actually kill our dogs. So Christmas especially, Easter as well, there's a lot of chocolate around so make sure that's out of reach of your dogs and make sure nobody gives that to your dogs at all. This is also why I'm not a fan of the chocolate for dogs because if children see people giving chocolate for dogs which is not real chocolate, they think that chocolate's okay to give the dogs and it can cause a lot of problems. So, This leads us on to xylitol. Now this is a sweetener which is found in loads of sugar-free products like gum, baking goods, uh, candies, you know, the whole load of it. And if dogs ingest this, it can create a rapid insulin release and it can lead to low low blood pressure, sugars, seizures, liver failure, and again, even death. Now. On a side note, this is why when people are talking about using peanut butter for their dogs, historically all peanut butter was fine because they weren't using this sweetener xylitol. Now a lot of the peanut butters do. So if you're using peanut butter for your dogs, it's a good idea to get the organic ones. I know it's a little bit more expensive, but it's better than messing up your dog's uh, digestive tract. Then you've got grapes and raisins, effectively the smallest things that could go wrong there. Um, If you've got kids in the house, one thing I, I, I often, I have no idea how this happens, but like the back of my car, for example, I've got no idea how there's so many raisins in the back there. I don't even remember giving my daughter that many raisins, but every time I clean out the car, there seems to be shitloads of raisins everywhere. Now, if they're dropping that much in the car, bear in mind that they're going to be doing that in the house as well. So if you've got kids around and they're eating raisins during Christmas, there's a high chance that there's going to be raisins basically scattered. So you want to make sure that your dog doesn't want to go for these and you want to make sure that you're clearing that up as quickly as you can. Because even in small amounts, grapes and raisins can cause kidney failure in your dogs. This next one is alcohol. This should be very, very obvious. But intoxication in dogs is not good. They do not deal with alcohol in the same way that we do. To be perfectly honest, we probably shouldn't be drinking it as much as we do. But coming from me, that's probably a little bit rich. But like it can in humans, it can result in vomiting. It can result in disorientation, high body temperature, restlessness, excessive panting, or in humans, excessive uh, heavy breathing, muscle tremors and seizures. And if they have too much of it, it can cause much worse than that. Now, when I say this, you might be thinking, oh, we said like humans, our bodies can deal with it a lot more effectively than our dogs can. A lot of the time, we've also been drinking, you know, from... Of course, from the legal age of whichever country you're in. But realistically, we've been drinking for a little bit longer than we maybe should have, and our dogs don't. So it's like giving alcohol to a kid. It's not a good idea to let your dogs drink. I can't believe that I'm having to stress this so much, but the number of times I've been told, oh, I just gave my dog a beer, and he vomited everywhere and had had diarrhea for days, and I'm like... Yeah, no shit Sherlock, that's not a good idea. How about you don't give your dog a beer? Some dogs will be fine with it. That doesn't mean it's okay because you never know when it's gonna go the wrong way. And you can't get annoyed at your dog for having diarrhea for something that you gave them. Onions and garlic. Now, both onions and garlic, raw or cooked, can cause real damage to the red blood cells in our dogs and that can lead to anemia. Um, And they can also be toxic if your dog eats them in in a large enough quantity. Uh, Things like macadamia nuts. Now, I understand that not all nuts are toxic. It used to be a case that everybody would say, oh, don't give your dogs nuts at all. I think one of the biggest risks of nuts is choking. But as far as I'm aware, macadamia nuts are toxic to dogs and it can cause weaknesses in your dog's body, vomiting, tremors, and hyperthermia even. There's even uh, situations where it's caused depression. So if you're not sure about which nuts are okay and which ones are not, um, just don't give them nuts. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of videos out there talking about this. Again, not to name drop too many times, but when we're talking about food, I would have a look at Dr. Francis' videos. He's got loads of videos on YouTube about this. You can find them. He is the man to listen to with regards to food. He's got a PhD in wildlife nutrition. That's the one I always go to when I'm curious about this kind of thing. The next one's cooked bones. Everybody thinks it's okay just to give your dogs any bones they like. Raw bones that are large enough are absolutely fine. But cooked bones can splinter. And not only can this cause choking, but it can cause real damage to the mouth, the throat, or the intestines in your dog. This is a real story. In our apartment two moves ago, or one move ago, one of our neighbours had this beautiful, big, golden retriever, absolutely gorgeous dog. And they were having a, a dinner, and the dog was obviously loving it. This very friendly dog, loved everybody. And at the end of it all, they had a a big lamb bone, cooked lamb bone, and they thought, oh, it'll be fine to give this to the dog. Fast forward to, I think, two or three in the morning, I got this hard rapping on our door asking me to help them because the dog was in a lot of pain. The dog was whining. and They didn't have the car at the time. I can't remember why they didn't have access to their car. But I ended up rushing them into the, the emergency vet hospital And effectively what had happened is he'd given the dog the cooked bone, the dog had crunched it, it splintered, the dog had swallowed it and it was caught in the intestines and the dog ended up having to get emergency surgery. Luckily, the dog was absolutely fine after the surgery, but I'm pretty sure that the dog would have preferred not to have gone through that trauma and pain and I know that they would have preferred not to have spent the ten grand that it took to do that surgery it's not worth giving your dogs cooked bones guys just don't do it fatty foods this is one that a lot of people don't think about but even though our dogs do need a high protein diet which has probably got more fats in it than a lot of other diets would if they've got very high levels of fats in the foods like Your ham, bacon, gravy, it can actually cause real problems for our dogs. It can be very painful and life-threatening if they end up getting pancreatitis or something along those lines from it. At the very least, there's a high chance they're going to get diarrhoea and throw up everywhere. Coffee and tea. This is just the caffeine again, guys. So anything that's got caffeine in it is dangerous to dogs and can lead To heart palpitations, muscle tremors, rapid breathing and all of that kind of stuff. Yes, again, caffeine can cause that in humans. But remember, if you've got a coffee every morning, your body's become adjusted to that. You don't give your dog a coffee every morning and neither should you give your dog a coffee every morning. Caffeine's not great for our dogs. Make sure it's out of the way. They don't get to it. Yeast dough. So... This is kind of similar to why they tell you not to give yeast dough or certain breads or even uncooked rice to birds. And it's because it can bloat and expand in the stomach. Yeast dough especially can be quite dangerous to dogs because it will expand, can lead to bloating, it can lead to twisting in the stomachs and it can actually have a fermentation process which can also produce alcohol while it's in the stomach and lead to alcohol poisoning and everything i spoke about with regards to alcohol as well now one of the things that's very very common for the festive season is nutmeg now it can cause seizures in central nervous system problems if consumed in a decent quantity for our dogs so it's better just keep that well out of the way. Don't let your dog get access to any nutmeg. Now, we spoke about Xylitol, there's other artificial sweeteners that you wanna make sure your dogs stay away from. So as a result, just have them stay away from all of them. And salty snacks. Too much salt can produce excess thirst and urination and can even create sodium poisoning in our dogs and our cats, or any other pets for that matter. Too much salt can also be very bad for their skin. It can create hair loss and a lot of things along those lines. It's better not to give them too much salty snacks, if any at all. So sometimes you'll be sitting there at the Christmas holidays and you'll be eating your, I don't know, like pork scratchings or pretzels or whatever you're eating, crisps, and you might just think, "I'll give some to the dog. Yeah, I'm sure in small quantities that'll be absolutely fine, but if you start giving... One for you, one for me, like a lot of people do with their dogs. It can create a lot of problems. So let's just have a sweeping statement here. Ensure your dog's safety during this season by avoid feeding them scraps from the table. Keep all the potentially food away from them. But when we talk about scraps at the table, you think, oh, well, it's okay to give them a little bit of roast beef. Yeah, it would be. But what does that roast beef got on it? Has it got rich gravy full of salt and full of other things? What else is on there? Do you know that there's no nutmeg being blended into anything? Make sure that you're not giving your dog anything that is potentially dangerous to them. And if you suspect that your dog has ingested any of these items, once again, contact your vet immediately. Okay? And now we move on to one of the topics that I'm asked about most regularly and that is interactions with family and guests. So when we're hosting guests during the festive season, whether or not they're staying in the house or if they're coming over for parties and gatherings, it's important to have clear protocols in place for introducing them to your dog. And this is to ensure everyone's comfort and safety. So. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look at guests who are staying in the home, and then I'll look at guests who are coming over for gatherings. Before I do this, just as a reminder, every dog is different. So for some dogs, you're going to have to be really detailed and really strict. For other dogs, it's going to just be like a more sort of, yes, just be aware that we have a dog. This is our protocol. Make sure that we don't upset the dog so that we keep everybody comfortable and safe. You know your dog. Make sure you're doing what is appropriate. Don't get caught out, okay? Now, for guests staying at the home, it's important that we have pre-arrival communication. Now, a few episodes we spoke about this and uh, one of our clients has a brilliant pre-arrival protocol and that's actually just a full text message that they copy and paste to everybody that's coming into their house because their dog is doing behavioural rehabilitation right now and that is great. I mean I can't think of a better way of doing that than making sure that you've got everything detailed out, ensuring that your guests know about your dog's behaviour and know about the rules that you'd like them to follow and how to do the introduction and things like that. That's brilliant. Some people as I say might be a lot simpler than that and that's okay too but you always want to give your guests Pre arrival communication. Last year we had family coming over from Australia and staying with us here. And even though my boys are fine, I still said, Hey, are you guys okay with the fact that we've got three big dogs in the house? To be clear, this is the dog's house. We will not be caging them. They will be able to wander anywhere they want to wander, except of course the room that you're staying in if you don't want them in there. Now, Everybody was fine with it, but it's important that you give people that heads up, even at the most simple level. Then you've got the initial introduction. So having an initial introduction in a neutral area outside actually is very beneficial. Even if the dog is very friendly, it doesn't hurt. Just take the dog out for a walk, meet them out on the walk, walk into the house with them. It's a really good way of uh, letting your dog scope out the guests before they actually enter their home because remember it is the dog's home as well if needed keep your dog on a leash while you are in the house with the guests and allow your dog to approach slowly on a loose leash so that the dog's able to smell them and become acclimatized to them It's best if your guests just completely avoid eye contact, completely ignore the dog so that the dog can then sniff and make sure that they are happy with them. The guests do not need to extend a hand. They do not need to crouch down to the dog's level. All of this stuff is things that we were spoken to and told about years ago. The dog can smell you fine. The dog doesn't need you to stick a fist in their face, okay? The dogs... Dogs are used for scenting drugs, for doing man trailing. Dogs can smell COVID and cancer. They can literally smell the sweat on your skin from a distance. You certainly do not need to shove your hand in their face. And you don't need to crouch down to their level either. If you get on well with the dog and the introduction has gone well, by all means, then of course you can pet them and things like that if the dog is comfortable with it. But don't put yourself in a potentially dangerous situation where you're putting your face close to the dog's face, where you're putting your hand straight into the dog's mouth effectively. Don't be foolish about it. Let the dog come and introduce. If your dog is skittish, if your dog does have a history of reactivity, these introductions, are you're going to be adhering to the three-second rule. Smell for three seconds, lure away with a toy or a treat. Now I tend not to use play during these situations because if your dog is anxious or reactive, and reactive more likely, um, you don't want to be getting them overexcited in the moment because that can backfire. So it's all about calm, slow introductions at your dog's pace. If your dog requires it. And even if your dog doesn't, it's a good idea to have feeding time instructions. If you're feeding your dog, ask your guests to steer clear of that area for now, just so your dog doesn't get disturbed. Even if your dog doesn't have any resource guarding, it's not a bad idea just to give them that space when there's new people in the house. This also goes for personal space. Now you might say, well, my dog doesn't give anybody personal space. Why should they give him personal space? Yep talking about my boy Porthos here, but that is important because if your dog is lying on their bed, nobody should be approaching that bed. Even us. If there's a dog asleep on a bed, if I want to go over and talk to them, if I want to go over and interact with them, I'm going to communicate with them before I get there so that I don't surprise them. I've heard way too many stories about people who come in And this is another holiday example. They come in having had a few drinks on a night out and they just want to snuggle up with their dog. Their dog is sound asleep on their bed and they come back down and they put their head on the dog while the dog is sleeping. The saying, let sleeping dogs lie, is there for a reason. And I have heard way too many stories about people having been bitten by their dog who historically has got no reactivity, not an aggressive bone in their body and then they're all upset about it. Quite frankly, if you snuck into my room and put your head on my face I'm probably not going to wake up very, very happy. And that's likely going to be the same for you guys listening. So let's not do that to our dogs as well. Personal space is very important. And again, some dogs don't mind this next part, other dogs do. Handling the dog's belongings. If the dog's toys are lying around, which I don't suggest they are, I think dog's toys should be put away and given to the dog when the dog is wanting to play with them. At the very least, just have one or two out so that the dog can play whenever they want, and then rotate them. It's never a good idea to have a lot of toys just strewn about the house. I, I personally don't like it and it does have a tendency to create resource guarding. But guests should not be touching the dog's belongings and vice versa. If the guests don't want the dog touching their belongings, they should be keeping it out of reach of the dog. Even if your dog's not a chewer, even if your dog's not a pincher or a not a pincher, not a Doberman pincher, but if they're not a stealer, they're not stealing stuff from people, it's still a good idea to keep it out of their reach because it's new scents, new items, the dog might be curious. So just remind your guests to make sure that they're not leaving stuff lying around. Now, all of these have to be consistently adhered to. Not just when your guests arrive, but for the duration of their stay. If you're having to say to them, Okay, guys, the dog does not get fed scraps from the table. They have to adhere to that constantly. If your rule is like ours, the dogs are not allowed to be under the table or beside the table when we're eating. Guests should not be calling the dogs over during mealtimes. They shouldn't be encouraging it because, of course, the dog wants to be there. So if they're given permission by anyone, they're going to take that opportunity a lot of the time. So your guests need to be consistent and understand that the house rules are there for a reason. If your dog is showing signs of anxiety, we then go back to that safe place. If you've got guests staying in the house, then you've got to look at an actual safe place where your dog can retreat to and have time away. Okay, that is for guests that are staying with you. The last point about that is emergency protocols. Your guests should know who to call, what to do, if there is an emergency situation, like the dog gets hold of something and starts choking, or gets hold of something that's toxic, like we just spoke about. Where to go, what to do, and also if anything bad happens, like the dog ends up biting somebody, how to respond, who to call, where to go. It's important that your guests have got this under wraps. It's kind of like when you stay at a hotel... They give you an emergency protocol. It's not a bad idea to do that with your guests staying with you either. For guests coming over for gatherings, again, pre-gathering communication. Let everybody know what the basic rules are for your dog. It's not going to be nearly as detailed as it is for people staying in the house, but it's important that they know how to interact with your dog when they arrive and what to do. You also want to be starting pre-gathering training make sure that you've got basic training commands down if you don't you may want to consider either having your dog sent to a family members or friends while you're having that gathering so that they're out of the way You want to be able to have simple things like sit, stay, leave it, go to your bed, directional cues, things that means you can keep your dog safe and comfortable and thus keep your guests safe and comfortable. So pre-gathering training, quite an important factor. One which is also neglected a lot of the time. So keep that in mind. Arrival strategies. So when you've got a lot of guests arriving not the same as when you've got guests coming to stay. It's a good idea to have your ge- your guests coming in and your dog in a completely different room. That way your dog's not getting this huge overwhelm of people entering the house all at once. The other room that your dog is in you should hopefully have had that safe place that I keep talking about but you want to be giving them something like a stuffed Kong, treats that are uh, in a puzzle, or even a long-lasting chew. Something that's going to keep them engaged for the time that uh, your guests are arriving. Once everybody's in and they're settled in, you can bring your dog out to meet the guests. Some dogs will need to be on a leash, other dogs not so much. In an ideal world, if your dog is being calm and introducing themselves nicely, you can give your guests a treat to give the dog. If your dog's anxious, not so good around people, then you want to be the one giving your dog the treats for any calm interaction around new people. The next one's a big one, children and dogs. In fact, I'm going to put a pin in this one and what I might do is we will discuss this one on the episode that we'll do on the 15th. So I'm going to split this into two episodes so that we can then look at this a little bit more deeply without ending up having a two-hour episode. So children and dogs, I'll just touch on this very, very lightly because I'll have a lot more to say about this later on. Effectively ensure that all interactions between children and your dog or dogs are closely supervised. That should be a given, guys. Even with my boys who I trust completely are never left alone with my daughter because i You do not know what kids are going to do, they're incredibly random and if they do something which pushes a dog over their threshold, the kid's going to be the one that comes off worse and then the dog is blamed. But actually, it's the adult's fault for leaving the kid alone with the dogs and that's just the simple truth of it. So I will come back to that at more detail and how to have children and dogs interacting What I'll probably do is I'll talk about this next week, not next week, next episode from a little bit more detailed point of view, from having your own kids during Christmas time um, and actually having them opening presents and all that kind of stuff and how to have that interaction as well as guests coming over as well. Feeding rules, we spoke about this earlier on, effectively guests are not to feed the dog and the guests shouldn't be eating the dog from the table. And they should keep their plates with their food and their glasses, which might have their drinks in them, out of reach. It should be kind of uh, common sense, but it's always worth reminding. Always have that quiet zone set up. When you've got guests, allow your dog to interact with them for as long as your dog can cope easily. For some dogs, that might be 10 minutes at a time. For other dogs, it might be an hour at a time and anywhere in between. But What you want to be able to do is give your dog a good 10 to 20 minutes of rest away from everybody else in that quiet zone so that then when you reintroduce them again they're not so stressed out. If you leave them to mingle with people for four, five, six hours, there's a high chance they're going to become very, very stressed and at best they're going to be off and their behaviour is going to be a little bit strange and at worst it could become a reactivity situation and your dog might end up nipping or biting somebody. Always monitor your dog and ensure they're not showing signs of this stress. If you're interested in finding out more about how to read the signs of stress, You can go on to our blog on noble-canine.com. So it's noble-canine.com. And there's an article in there about calming signals. And that goes into a bit of detail with pictures to show you exactly what to look out for with regards to stress in your dogs. That's incredibly important because if you're seeing signs of stress, it's time for that quiet zone. It's time for that safe zone. And then at the end of the night... Have a plan for your dog. So if everyone's about to start leaving, there's going to be a lot of hugging, a lot of kissing, a lot of hubbub because everyone's leaving. They're like, oh, see you again next time. And it's going to be very loud and very chaotic. Have your dog either going into that safe zone or have somebody take the dog out for a walk as everybody is departing. It's a good idea to make sure that your dog is not being put into more stressful situations than they need to be. So by implementing these protocols, you can ensure a safe and pleasant interaction between your dog and guests, both at parties or guests staying with you. And you can maintain that harmonious environment during the full festive season, because if your dog has been super stressed because of a party, the next day, if they're not able to decompress, that's going to create problems for your dog. There's going to be behavioural issues happening there. So with all of that said guys, I think I'm going to call this episode here and on the 15th of December I'll do the next section. So this next section we're going to be talking about children and dogs. We're going to be talking about setting boundaries for your dogs during the festive season. We're going to be talking about the behavioural challenges and what you can do as solutions to help those such as stress and anxiety, overstimulation and excitement, what sort of training tips you can work on so that your dog is able to be more tolerant, so that your dog is able to feel safer and you're able to communicate what's required of them. We're also going to be talking about immediate management strategies. What you can do to help your dog with loud music, parties and other loud sounds such as fireworks that a lot of the time happen at New Year's. All of this stuff we're going to be talking about, how to manage all of that. We're also going to talk about what to do in preparation for next year. In preparation for the next festive seasons. So talking about that. We're going to be talking about behavioural shaping and training that you can set up so that it's much, much easier the following year. We're going to talk about how you can reflect on this year so that you can improve the situation and the experience for the years to come. And then we're going to talk about how to create your festive season blueprint for your dog. Having something as simple as just a quickly written out document or a quickly written out piece of paper, effectively, just reminding you on what to do. And that can make all the difference. So we'll talk about that on the next episode. I hope you found this episode useful. And if you have any questions at all regarding this you can jump on our Wednesday session. So every single Wednesday at 8 p.m. Singapore time, we do an Ask Me Anything session on our Facebook page. That means you can type into the comments anything at all and we will do our best to answer those. So hopefully you'll be listening to the next episode for the rest of the advice on the festive season. If you do not, have a great holiday season. Have a great Christmas if you celebrate it. And I will hopefully talk to you soon again. Cheers.